Hello again. This is Chris with Nightfall Audiobooks. The next book will be Blind Date by R.L. Stein. It's a point horror novel. It's important to get out of Shady Side and off of Fear Street and go on vacation for a little while and just go somewhere else. And that's what the point horror series is going to be for this show. We are going to be taking a break from the Fear Street curse. I will be reading all of the point horror novels just to give us something different to do. It's still R.L. Stein. It's still part of the show's mission statement. It's got a little bit more freedom. It's under the point label, which is still published under Scholastic, but it's got a little less rules. Um, it's still young adult horror, but I think it has a little bit more freedom than the Scholastic label. Think of point as a like a production studio. It's allowed to do R-rated movies, and Scholastic is only allowed to do PG-13 movies. That kind of thing. I don't know what to expect here. I have not read Blind Date. I ordered a bunch of novels I do not own, all by R.L. Stein. I got a pile of them. I get my books through abebooks.com. They're not sponsored or anything. That's just where I go to get my books. You get them pretty cheaply. Fear Street novels tend to be going upward. Before the Fear Street movies on Netflix came out, I could get a novel for like $4 or less, and now they're five fifty or more. I picked up Blind Date and Twisted in the Point Horror series. In the Fear Street series, I picked up Truth or Dare, and I have the New Year's Party for a Fear Street Super Chiller. I am going to have to read books I am not familiar with, because I only owned about a third of R.L. Stein's library, and even of that stuff, I only really know and am really comfortable with maybe 20 books. So, for every book that, you know, I don't know anything about, there's even less books that I am very, very passionate about. And Blind Date is the first point horror novel. I'll be starting this today. If you want to get in touch with me, you can write me an email, nightfallaudiobooks at gmail.com, or you can check me out on YouTube at Nightfall Audiobooks. Please like, comment, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell whoever you think would like to listen to me read to them R.L. Stein novels. Uh, specifically Fear Street, but for right now it's going to be Point R. We will go back to Fear Street with the next novel, so no worries there. It's still going to be 100% R.L. Stein for the near future. So thank you very much for listening, and I will see you next time. Welcome to a Nightfall Audiobooks production of Blind Date by R.L. Stein, a Point Horror Novel, Book 1. Chapter 1 At first, when Carrie heard the sound of the bone breaking, he thought it was his. He closed his eyes, gritted his teeth, and waited for the pain. He took a deep breath and buried his face in the wet grass. Over the pounding in his ears, he could hear the sing-song chant of the cheerleaders practicing at the other end of the stadium. Give me a P! Give me an A! Give me an N! Give me a break, Carrie thought. Then he realized the pain would not be his. Someone else was screaming in agony. Someone underneath Carrie was screaming in agony. Strong hands grabbed him by the shoulder pads and pulled him to his feet. Then someone gave him a hard shove from behind. That was a cheap shot, Carrie. He was shoved again. He spun away, confused, and stumbled to the ground beside the screaming player. The player's eyes were shut tight and his mouth was twisted into a wide O of pain. He was laying on his back, one knee up, 
one leg jutting out at an angle that legs normally don't jut out to. This isn't happening, Kerry told himself, slapping both hands hard against the sides of his helmet. I didn't just break Sal Murdoch's leg. I couldn't. I refuse to believe this. Kerry climbs to his feet, and someone shoved him again. Get back, turkey. Haven't you done enough? Number 88, Wilson, swung a fist at Kerry. The punch missed. With the surprise of it sent Kerry sprawling backward, and he fell over someone's outstretched cleat. Sal was already down, Wilson screamed, standing over him. You didn't need to jump on him. Break it up, break it up, Coach Stevens yelled, stepping between Kerry and Wilson. It was an accident, Kerry said. I couldn't stop in time. Wilson kicked the ground hard, sending the dirt flying onto Kerry's uniform. Wilson, I said knock it off, Coach screamed, holding Wilson back, his small red hands pushing against the big fullback shoulder pads. Wilson ignored the little coach. You were number two, he screamed at Terry. This was your way to be number one. He turned away in disgust. That's not true, Kerry called after him, his voice cracking. There is no way it could be true. How could Kerry compete with Sal Murdoch? Sal was all-state his sophomore year. He had been picked by Sports Illustrated as the best high school quarterback in the country. He had already led the Panthers to an undefeated season and a state championship. Everyone expected him to do it again this year. Kerry was an okay player for a small guy, but he wasn't really into football the way his teammates were. It was just a game after all. He probably wouldn't have even tried out if his father hadn't insisted, and if Donald hadn't been one of the school's biggest stars. Now, thanks to Kerry, Sal was lying on the ground with his leg in many pieces, surrounded by cursing, angry teammates shaking their heads, slamming their helmets to the ground, and everyone believed that Kerry had deliberately done it to him to be the number one quarterback. Kerry felt a hard tap on his left shoulder pad. He ducked, thinking he was about to be attacked again. But it was his good friend, Josh Goodwin, the backup punter. Looks like this may not exactly be your day, Josh said. It was an accident, Kerry said. Why don't they believe me? You have a dishonest face, Josh told him. Josh grinned, his little black eyes lighting up above his big bulby nose. He looked just like the toucan on the Fruit Loops box. Why do you have to fall on Sal? Josh asked. Why couldn't you fall on someone else? A cheerleader, maybe. How about Linda Miles over there? I wouldn't mind falling on her. Kerry watched Coach Stevens running to the gym to call for an ambulance. This is serious, Josh. What am I going to do? Josh shrugged. I don't know. Take up Tiddly Winks. I'd probably fall on my opponent's thumb, Kerry said glumly. He shook his head and started toward the crowd of players around Sal. But two players, O'Brien and Mallet, guys he'd always been pretty friendly with, blocked his way. Just go away, Hart, O'Brien said menacingly. It was an accident, Kerry insisted. You were your parents' accident, Malik yelled. Take a walk, Hart, O'Brien said, giving him a hard shove on the chest pad. You're not wanted here. You're history, Malik said. You're dead meat. The next few minutes were a blur, a nightmare of angry voices, shoving and threatening words. Why wouldn't anyone listen to him? What happened? What happened to Sal? It was Sharon Spinner. Sal's girlfriend, running ahead of the other cheerleaders. Carrie Hart broke Sal's leg, O'Brien told her. Sharon screamed. She stopped right in front of Carrie. Her face seemed to be on fire, her normally perfect blonde hair flaring up like flames. How could you? How could you? She screamed into Terry's face. I didn't, Carrie started, but he could see from her wild, frantic eyes that she wouldn't listen to him. What about his football scholarship? Sharon yelled. What about his career? How's he going to go to college now? How could you? 
She didn't wait for any reply from Carrie. She turned and started towards Sal, but she tripped over the edge of the tarp they had covered Sal with to keep him warm and fell onto Sal's chest. Oh my God, she screamed. He's dead. He's dead. Carrie gasped for air. Everything went white. No, he isn't, one of the players said. Cool it, Sharon. He's just passed out, probably from shock. Carrie took a deep breath. Colors began to come back. You've ruined his life. Ruined it! Carrie realized that Sharon was screaming at him again. All he ever cared about was football. Now he'll never get to play anywhere. The ambulance is on its way, Coach Stevens called, running across the field from the gym, the whistle around his neck swinging from side to side, his paunch bouncing up and down beneath his gray sweatshirt as he ran. Okay, men, go get dressed. This scrimmage is over. This season is over, a player muttered. Who said that? Coach yelled, still trying to catch his breath from his run. A flash of anger crossed his face, but he quickly stifled it. Never mind, he said, shaking his head. Just go get dressed. And, Hart, wait in my office, okay? He shot Carrie a disgusted look. Oh boy, Carrie said to Josh. What do you think he's going to do? Josh shrugged. He's probably not going to name you team captain. Carrie's teammates began to jog slowly toward the locker room. Some of them pointed at him menacingly as they passed. You're dead meat, Hart, someone repeated. Most of them wouldn't look at him. Carrie started toward Coach's office at the side of the gym. The sun was lowering behind the hills, casting a wide shadow across the football field. Carrie shivered in the cool air. He realized he was soaking wet from sweat. As he reached the door to Coach's office, he saw the white and yellow ambulance, its siren wailing, pull into the school parking lot. He shivered again and went inside. The small room had that odor unique to coaches' offices, a combination of gym socks and rubbing alcohol. A silver football trophy that had been converted into a table lamp sat on the edge of coaches' cluttered desk, providing the only light. A football-shaped mirror, streaked with dust, hung on the wall beside his desk. Kerry looked into the mirror and wiped some of the dirt off his cheek with his hand. He pushed back his wavy brown hair and tried to flatten it into place. Ever since a girl at the mall had stopped him to ask if he was Ralph Macchio, the guy from the Karate Kid, Carrie had taken more interest in his appearance. With his dark hair and clean, dark features, he looked a lot like Ralph Macchio. The back wall of the tiny office was covered with teen photographs, one photo for each of the 20 years that Stevens had been Panther coach. Carrie walked up to the wall and stared at the teams at eye level, not really seeing anything, just a blur of gray faces. Suddenly, one face came into focus. I see you. I know you're there, Carrie said aloud. He was staring at Donald's face. Donald, arms around the players at either side of him, grinned out at Carrie. Donald the champ, Donald the star, wearing number 11. Carrie looked down at his own jersey and frowned. Why had he also picked number 11? Why did he pick his brother's old number? Because he tried to do everything that Donald did. Tried to be everything that Donald was? Why was he wearing a football jersey at all? Just because Donald wore one? He turned away from the photographs and took a seat in a folding chair in front of Coach's desk. He tried to force his mind to go blank. He concentrated on waiting. About ten minutes later, the inner door opened, letting in a shaft of bright yellow light from the gym, startling Carrie awake. Coach walked in and nodded to Carrie without really looking at him. His face twitched nervously. His cheeks were bright pink. He began to pace back and forth in a tiny cubicle. How's Sal? Carrie asked. Coach stopped pacing. Not good, he said, his forehead wrinkling. I don't like the fact that he isn't conscious. It's probably just shock, but I don't like it at all. 
It really was an accident, Carrie began. He started to explain everything, but Coach raised his pudgy hand. Of course it was an accident, he said finally, looking at Terry. I'm not about to believe that one of my boys deliberately went out to injure another one of my boys. And I'm certainly not about to believe that about Donald's younger brother. Donald again. This time, Carrie didn't mind. Let him talk about Donald all he wants as long as he believes me, Carrie thought. Coach began pacing again, his face twitching. This wasn't easy for him. He wasn't used to choosing his words carefully. Carrie, he said, I know you've had a lot of tragedy to live with in the past year or so. Carrie was too startled to speak. No one ever talked about his tragedy. Not his dad, not his younger brother Sean, not Josh, or any of his other friends. So, hearing Coach mention it gave him a real jolt, started his heart pounding. This makes it even more difficult for me, Coach said, still pacing. Three steps one way, three steps back. You'll have to leave the team. You can't play for the Panthers. But it was an accident, Carrie protested. That doesn't matter. The other players think it was deliberate. They won't play with you as quarterback. Most of them want to knock your head off. But if I stay on the team and... Coach put his fists down on the edge of the desk and leaned forward, staring right into Carrie's eyes. If you stay on the team, you'll only be a morale problem. I'm sorry, Carrie. That's it. It's over. Go clean out your locker. Carrie sat staring at the back wall, the smiling black and white faces of past teams looking back at him. He tried to avoid Donald's picture, but his eyes stopped on it anyway. He jumped to his feet, nodded to Coach, and walked to the door. Now I have the unhappy job of calling Sal's parents, Coach said, as Carrie closed the door behind him. It didn't take long to clean out his locker. When he came out of the gym, he found Josh waiting for him in the parking lot. I thought you could use a lift home, Josh said. Do you have a car? Carrie asked. No, Josh said. But it's the thought that counts, right? They walked past the high school and up the tree-lined street. A sharp wind blew down from the hills, the first touch of autumn. The sun was a narrow, orange ribbon outlining the low, sloping hills. They walked through shades of gray toward Josh's house. It was two blocks from the school, a sprawling ranch house on a rolling, hedge-lined lawn. Carrie lived up in the hills in a modest, two-family tract house, part of a development that was never finished. I'll walk you to your house, then take the bus, Carrie said, adjusting the backpack on his shoulders. So what happened? Josh asked. Did you get the lecture on why you shouldn't break the quarterback's leg? I got bounced, Carrie said flatly. They walked in silence for a few moments. How do you feel about it? Josh asked. Dad isn't going to like it, Carrie replied. I didn't ask about your dad. How's your cousin Gladys going to feel about it? What's your Uncle Max going to say? Carrie didn't laugh. They walked a while in silence. They didn't see the car, a long, four-door Oldsmobile about ten years old, until it pulled up beside them. Hey, Hart! Carrie recognized O'Brien behind the wheel. There were a bunch of other kids in the car. Hey, watch out, Hart! Listen, O'Brien, Carrie yelled, angrier than he had thought. It was just an accident. Coach says, I wouldn't walk around this neighborhood after dark, a voice in the back seat called out. There could be another accident. Know what I mean? Suddenly, the back window was rolled down. Sharon Spinner stuck her head out. You ruined his life. I'm going to pay you back. Sharon, cool it, O'Brien called back to her. She seemed totally out of control. I'm going to pay you back, Carrie. A soda can came flying out of the back window. It bounced against Carrie's backpack, spilling soda down his jacket. The car sped off. Nice guys, Josh said. Carrie shrugged. Catch you tomorrow, he said wearily. Thanks for trying to cheer me up. 
he hurried toward the bus stop across the street. I've got one last piece of advice, Josh called after him. Don't say break a leg, Carrie said without looking back. Ah, we've been friends too long, Josh said. You know all my lines. He turned and headed up the smooth, curving driveway that led to his house. The bus came a few minutes later, and Carrie rode in silence up into the low hills. At High Bluff Road, he stepped out into thick fog, cold and damp. Carrie shivered as he crossed the street to his house. The cold followed him right inside. The house was dark except for a small table lamp in the living room and the glare of the TV set. Sean was lying on the couch watching a Brady Bunch rerun. At least I got one break, Carrie told himself. Dad isn't home yet. He walked into the room and tossed his backpack into an armchair. Sean didn't look up. Dad working late? Carrie asked. Uh-huh. For a change, Carrie said. His dad was seldom around these days. Criminals don't work bankers' hours, he would tell them. But Carrie knew that after hours, he mainly just hung around the station house, shooting the bull with the other cops. Did you eat? Carrie asked. Uh-uh. A conversation with Sean meant asking a lot of questions and hearing a lot of grunts and hums in reply. Carrie looked at his younger brother and shook his head. Sean was as blonde as Carrie was dark. With his sharp jaw and spiky haircut, he imagined that he looked just like Sting, but he was short and had a lot of pimples which ruined the effect. A bowl of potato chips and a beer, is that any kind of dinner? Carrie asked, realizing that he was beginning to sound like a parent. Uh-uh. Sean seemed to spend more and more time staring at the TV. Who could blame him, Carrie thought. At least in the Brady Bunch, they keep all the lights on in the house. And the family is together, and they like each other. Carrie tried to remember the last time he'd heard from his mom. It had been at least a month. She had moved out soon after... soon after Donald left. She just couldn't take it, Carrie guessed. He still couldn't believe his parents were divorced. Sometimes he thought he heard her voice in another room. Sometimes he smelled her perfume. Her weekly phone calls had become monthly calls. He and Sean were supposed to spend a month with her during the summer, but she had just started a new job, and the visit was postponed until Christmas. I know you understand, she had said to Carrie over the phone. But he didn't, really. I'm going upstairs, Carrie said. The last track on the Brady Bunch went wild. Uh-huh, Sean replied, his mouth full of potato chips. Carrie climbed the creaky steps quickly in the dark, walked into a small room, ducking his head automatically beneath the low ceiling, and flung himself onto the bed with a loud sigh. He buried his head in his arm. He planned to lie there for a long while and feel sorry for himself. But the phone rang. He waited for Sean to pick it up. A second ring. Come on, Sean. Get off the couch and pick it up. A third ring. Carrie groaned and pulled himself up. He walked over to the low counter that served at his desk and fumbled around in the dark for the phone. Hello, it was a girl's voice. Is this Carrie? He cleared his throat. Yes, it is. Hi, Carrie. It was the sexiest voice he had ever heard. I'm your blind date. Chapter 2 Is this a joke? It was the only thing Carrie could think of to say. I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, just a minute. Carrie reached for the lamp switch. Couldn't find it in the dark. I want to turn on a light. I'm in the dark here. Oh, don't turn on a light, Carrie. Let's talk in the dark. Her voice was kittenish, a soft purr. Every word seemed like an invitation. Okay. Way to go, Carrie. Sparkling wit. You're really impressing her. I understand you live up in the hills, she said breathily. Yeah, how do you know that? Oh, I know a lot about you, Carrie. Wow, this is unreal. What's your name? he asked. Guess. 
She laughed, a soft, teasing laugh. Uh, you sound like, uh, Nadia. Nadia, she exclaimed. That's right. I'm right? I guessed it? No, but I guess I do sound like a Nadia. She laughed again. Her laugh was driving him crazy. It was such a dirty laugh. I guess you'd like to tease a lot, Carrie said, growing bolder. Well, she adopted a little girl's voice. I don't always tease. Maybe you'll find that out. Oh, wow. Carrie didn't think he could stand much more of this. Do you go to Revere, he asked. Not yet. My family just moved here last week. I guess I'll start next week. Will you show me around? Will I? Sure. Hey, who told you to call me? Who set this up? You can guess that, too. Karen Eilers? Ha <laughs> ha, no. Was it Donna? Donna Mueller? No. Hmm. I can't think of anyone else. It wasn't Margot, was it? Score one for you. But I haven't seen Margot since she moved. She goes to North now. Margot insisted that I call you. She said you were a great guy. Well, I am. Ha <laughs> ha. She said you were modest, too. They both laughed. His laugh sounded more nervous than hers. He was thinking about Margot. They had been pretty good friends. They went out a couple of times, but nothing much happened and they realized they should just stay friends. Then Margot's family moved to the other side of town. She started going to North. He hadn't heard from her in months. It was really nice of her to fix him up with a blind date. Well, uh, how about Saturday, he asked, then immediately felt foolish. I mean, do you want to go out? I thought you'd never ask. She laughed that sexy laugh again, but this time it was cut short. Oh, listen. Someone wants to use the phone. I'll give you my name and address. You don't have to guess it after all. She quickly rattled off her name and address. He wasn't sure he heard her right. Was her name Amanda? He started to ask her to repeat it, but she hurriedly whispered, Pick me up at eight. Bye. And then, before he could say anything, she added, It's been nice spending time in the dark with you, and hung up. Carrie sat there with the receiver in his hand. I think things are beginning to look up, he told himself with a pleased grin. Why did it sound as if she was calling from a payphone? That was weird. But of course the whole thing was weird. What a voice! The way she said his name. That amazing laugh. He leaped out of his room and bounded down the steps two at a time. He had to tell someone about this call. Even Sean wouldn't appreciate it. Sean, you won't believe this! What a fox! He stopped at the entrance to the living room. Oh, hi, Dad. His father, still in uniform, nodded hello. He pushed a police cap back on his head, revealing more forehead. Before he lost most of his hair, Lieutenant Hart looked exactly like Sergeant Andy Ranko on Hill Street Blues. At least, that's what the guys at the station house told him, and he eagerly believed it. Even though he wasn't from the South, he affected the slight southern drawl and the easy, open-gated manner of the TV cop. Then he lost his hair and his resemblance to the TV cop along with it. The guys at the station house still called him Renko because they saw him with his cap on. At home, though, with his bald head revealed, he dropped the down-home manner and the southern speech. He seemed to his two sons gloomy and ill at ease. It was almost as if he only came to life when he had his police cap on. Beer and potato chips for dinner? Can't you look after your brother better than that? That was his greeting to Carrie. I just got home, Carrie said, feeling his face redden. Why couldn't he ever talk to his dad without feeling embarrassed? You were upstairs talking on the phone, weren't you? Yeah. How come you're still in uniform? I'm going back out. I just wanted to check on you boys. Everything okay, Sean? Uh-huh. Sean was watching an old Gilligan's Island. Dad, I have to talk to you, Carrie began. There's some McDonald's hamburgers in the freezer, Lieutenant Hart said, his eyes on the TV screen. Remember, I bought extra so you guys would have them. 
Just put him in the microwave. Fourteen years old and he's drinking beer for dinner. What next? I got some bad news today, Carrie went on. He was determined to tell his dad about the fiasco on the football field. He wanted to get it over with. Maybe with his father in such a hurry to get out, there wouldn't be the usual scene. I could use a little bad news, Lieutenant Hart said bitterly. Maybe I better sit down for this one. Yeah, Carrie said. Bring me a beer, if there's any left. Lieutenant Hart sat down on the folding chair by the front door. He groaned. His back was acting up again. Driving a patrol car eight hours a day wasn't exactly helping it. Carrie brought him a can of beer from the refrigerator. He stood a few feet in front of his father and watched him pop the top off the can. He was trying to decide how to start his story. Was there a way to tell it so that his father wouldn't explode? No, he decided there wasn't. I'm off the Panthers. That was a good way to start. Lieutenant Hart finished a long sip of beer. Then he put the can on his lap and slowly looked into Carrie's troubled face. Tell me that one again. He suddenly looked very old and very tired to Carrie. He wished he had some good news, some wonderful news, to tell him instead. News that would erase the wrinkles that ran down his cheeks and bring back that Ranko smile. Coach Stevens asked me to leave the team. There was an accident. What kind of an accident? He took another long sip of beer. I fell on Sal Murdoch. It really was an accident. I broke his leg. Some people thought I did it on purpose, you know, to get his position. Why'd you do it? I told you, Dad, it was an accident. Why was he starting to whine? It was an accident, and Stevens kicked you off the team. His father glared at him with the same suspicious eye he'd give a mugger, or a grocery store thief. He said I'd be a morale problem. Too many guys think I did it on purpose. A morale problem? Does that idiot forget the contributions his family has made to his team? Why, Donald was the greatest player the Panthers ever produced. Donald put the school on the map with his running, and he saved Stevens' job by getting that championship. Donald! Dad, we're not talking about Donald! Carrie was the one to scream first. His father seemed surprised by his anger. He took another long drink from the beer can to hide it. Donald's younger brother belongs on the Panthers, he said finally. His expression was more bitter than angry. He actually looked hurt. Donald is gone, Dad. Coach Stevens doesn't care about Donald. All he cares about is that I broke his quarterback's leg and... Could you two keep it down? I'm trying to watch TV. Shut up, Sean, Carrie screamed, feeling himself lose control. Don't talk to your brother like that. Donald never talked to you like that. Lieutenant Hart crushed a can in his hand and dropped it to the floor. Stop talking about Donald. Stop yelling at me, Carrie. What am I supposed to say? You tell me you got kicked off the football team because of an accident, and I'm supposed to say don't worry about it? He stood up and pulled down his cap. You're supposed to talk to me. You're supposed to react to me. You're not supposed to talk about Donald, Carrie screamed. I've got to go, Lieutenant Hart said, sneering. Okay, okay. You want to talk about Donald? Carrie's voice was filled with desperation. He knew he should stop right there, not say another word, but he couldn't. Okay, fine. Tell me about Donald. Tell me what happened last year. Tell me why Donald is gone. Fill in the missing piece, Dad. Fill in the piece that dropped out of my memory. Those days, those weeks. I've got a hole in my brain, Dad. A big hole. You want to talk about Donald? Come on, talk. Tell me what I can't remember. He grabbed his father by the shoulders. Tell me what my brain refuses to remember. Come on. Lieutenant Hart pulled out of Carrie's grasp. He made no attempts to comfort Carrie. Instead, he turned away quietly. Facing the front door, he said quietly, Stop it, Carrie. Stop it now, fella. Carrie's hands coiled into fists. He felt ready to explode. Turn around, Dad. Turn around. Look at me. His father shrugged his shoulders. 
the blue uniform wrinkling at the collar, and turned around slowly. Stop torturing yourself about last year, he said without emotion. Sometimes our brains know best. Sometimes our brains want to protect us. Don't try to remember what happened, Kerry. Just accept it. Kerry fought to keep the tears from covering his eyes, but he couldn't keep them back. I miss him, he blurted out. I miss Donald so much. Lieutenant Hart turned around quickly. I'll be back late, he said, his voice shaky. He opened the front door. Sorry, he said. I'm real sorry. And he stepped out into the night. Why do you always want to upset Dad like that? Sean asked from the couch. Carrie stood at the door, watching as the headlights of the patrol car came on, cutting through the thick wisps of fog. Headlights. Carrie closed his eyes and still saw headlights. The image was jarring his memory. Headlights. Something stirred in his brain. Most of the last year was missing from his memory, wiped out by some sort of tragedy. Headlights were a piece of the puzzle. He felt that. He knew it. But he couldn't go any further. The patrol car turned around. The headlights pointed down the hill. The two red taillights grew smaller as his father headed down to town. Carrie stared into the dark for a long time. Then he walked slowly back into the living room. Sean hadn't moved on the couch. Gilligan's Island had gone off, and now he was watching an old Leave it to Beaver. Gee, Dad, you're so smart, the beaver was saying to his well-dressed, smiling father. Tell Wally and me how we can be smart like you. Do you want a hamburger? Carrie asked. Uh-uh, said Sean from the couch. Is that a yes or no? Uh-huh. At one thirty in the morning, Carrie was seated at his desk, the goose-necked desk lamp throwing an arc of dim orange light onto his essay, as he struggled to focus his eyes to finish it. What I didn't do on my summer vacation. Mr. Shannon, Carrie's English teacher, thought of himself as a real ace. He thought this assignment was the cleverest thing that had ever been foisted on the class of high school juniors. Poor Shannon, Carrie said aloud, his voice hoarse from weariness. He'll have to read twenty-six of these. I only have to read this one. English was Carrie's best subject. He liked reading. He could lose himself in any kind of book. He liked science fiction best, though. Somehow, he felt more at home in other worlds. Carrie liked the write, too. Sometimes in past years, he would write long, long stories and send them to Donald when Donald was away at camp. Donald thought Carrie had real talent as a writer. The memory made Carrie smile. One more paragraph to write. He looked at the clock. One thirty-five. His father still wasn't home. He could hear Sean tossing about on his bed on the other side of the bedroom wall. Poor Sean. It was tough getting to sleep after lying on the couch for eight straight hours. The phone rang, and he jumped. Who would call at this hour? Probably Josh, calling to see how he was doing. Josh was one of those people who never slept. He needed only two or three hours a night, that's all. Drove his parents nuts. Carrie picked up the phone after the first ring. Hello? His voice had cobwebs in it. Sticks and stones can break your bones. It was a strange female voice, a phony voice. It sounded as if she was pinching her nose and talking. What? Who is this? Carrie asked, his eyes blurring from tiredness and the dim desk light. Sticks and stones and broken bones, the voice said. Who is this? The voice was raspy and distorted. He struggled to figure out who it was. Sharon, is that you? He remembered how Sharon looked in the car on the way to the hospital to see Sal. She looked wild, wild with anger, out of control. Was she calling him now to annoy him, to frighten him? Sharon, if that's you, this isn't funny. The female voice at the other end laughed, a high-pitched, exaggerated laugh, like a witch in a kid's TV show. Sharon, if we could just talk. The toe bone's connected to the foot bone. The foot bone's connected to the ankle bone. The ankle bone's connected to the leg bone. Click. She hung up, 
A chill went down Carrie's back. He dropped the receiver. It clunked and bounced on the countertop. He grabbed at it, missed, then grabbed it tightly. His heart was pounding. Just a stupid practical joke, he told himself. But it was scary just the same. It was scary to be disliked. Carrie had never been exactly popular. Not popular the way Donald was popular, with friends and girlfriends who always surrounded him, following him wherever he went, filling the house with laughter and warmth. But he had never been disliked either. And the fact that Sharon, who had always been kind of friendly to him, now hated him enough too. He decided to call her right back and put an end to this. He searched through his drawer for the school phone directory, pulling papers out, tossing them on the floor. He found it on the very bottom. He was surprised to see that his fingers were trembling as he rifled through the pages, looking for Sharon's phone number. He found the number, blinked a few times to clear his eyes, and dialed. It rang once, twice, three times. Come on, Sharon, you know it's me calling you back. Pick it up, come on. Hello? A man's voice, her father. I was calling Sharon because... Who is this? He asked angrily. Never mind. I don't care who this is. I don't want to know which idiot friend of my daughter's would call at this hour. Just don't ever do it again. He slammed the receiver down, producing a loud explosion in Carrie's right ear. Carrie nearly dropped the phone again, but replaced it with a trembling hand. One paragraph to go. He had to get the stupid essay finished. He couldn't let them get to him. He wouldn't.